Hello, DanceWell listeners. This is Ellie Kushner. When I reached out to this episode's guest, Dr. Nikki Kay, I proposed a few topics that we could discuss based on her expertise. I suggested vitamin D, calcium, relative energy deficiency in dance, that's red D, and menopause. Dr. Kay wrote back, eager to share her knowledge with the dance community, and said that perhaps we might speak about something that would touch on all of these topics, which is hormone health. I love it. What is hormone health? How do you know when your hormones are not in balance? What can we do to support good hormone health? These are the introductory questions we cover in this episode before moving on to the subtopics I initially proposed, vitamin D, calcium, red D, menopause, and a bit more. For me, this was a very illuminating episode, and I hope it is for you as well. Dr. K was awarded a BA in medical triposts and medical qualifications from Cambridge University, ultimately becoming a member of the Royal College of Physicians. Dr. K gained extensive clinical and research expertise in endocrinology and sports and dance and exercise medicine involving elite athletes, professional ballet dancers, and young aspiring athletes. Her research in the area has earned her numerous publications and awards. The rheumatoid arthritis has led Dr. K away from the hospital. She has found that this has brought her to a more integrated and personalized approach to care, and she continues working with patients at the Enspire Clinic. Dr. K writes regular blogs for the British Association of Sport and Exercise Medicine on sport endocrinology which is the reciprocal network interactions of the endocrine system, exercise, nutrition, health, and fitness. As honorary fellow in the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at Durham University, she conducts clinical research in sports slash dance endocrinology. Dr. K is an experienced ballet dancer, choreographer, and teacher, as well as a Pilates instructor. She works closely with professional organizations involved in all aspects of sports and exercise medicine, dance medicine, and those professionals involved in health and performance. She was a key contributor to important dance science publications such as Your Body, Your Risk, and Fit to Dance. Dr. K aims to redefine optimal health and fitness for the individual by integrating all aspects of her professional clinical experience with her medical research expertise in endocrinology and sport dance. I want to confess that in the recording of this episode, one of my worst podcast nightmares came true. After speaking with Nikki for quite a while, I realized that I had not hit record. So I just want to give an extra thank you to Dr. Nikki Kay for her patience and repeating some of this conversation. It's really invaluable. Thank you, Dr. Kay. And without further ado, I give you episode 81, Hormone Health. Buckle your seatbelt. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological development. Today, you are in for treatment. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. 
My pleasure. I'm always happy and excited to talk about dancers and dancing. Um, so I like to start with the big and broad and therefore difficult question, which is, what are horm hormones? Well, <clears throat> hormones are uh, internal chemical messengers, um, and they they effectively regulate all the, the biological processes uh, happening in your body. Um, and so that, that's why they're crucial to health, by the way. So hormones are um, released from particular glands, the endocrine glands, hormone glands, if you will, and they're released and they go into the blood and then they're transported all over the body. So one hormone can have far reaching effects at all different sites in the body. So for example, estrogen released by the ovaries in women, that's gone to pass through the bloodstream. It's going to have an effect, of course, on the female reproductive uh, tract itself, but also on bones, on uh, cognitive function, on neuromuscular function, in other words, your muscle and, and your nerves and your gut. So, I mean, that's, and there's even a longer list than that, but I'll try and keep it short. So that's what hormones are, internal chemical messengers. Um, and there are many of them, a whole family of them, uh, all working, working away hard behind the scenes <laughs> or inside your body as it happens to keep you healthy. Um, when you talk about sort of chemicals um, that give instructions or chemicals that have messages, um, it sounds to me like neurotransmitters. So are, is there a parallel there, like neurotransmitters are to the brain what hormones are to the endocrine system? Uh, absolutely. It's just a matter of distance, really. Um, so typically the neurotransmitter is, you know, a chemical, as you say, hopping from one nerve cell to the next. Um, but hormones in general tend to act over slightly larger distances, although it's true that they can act on themselves. In other words, a horm uh, an endocrine gland will secrete hormone and it can have effect on its own cells. So that's a very short distance. Or it can have effect on neighboring cells. Or as we just mentioned now, it can, uh, you know, whiz off in the bloodstream to distant parts in your body, you know. So I think, it, it, you know, it's uh, more of a sort of um, very fine distinction, shall we say. It's just a matter of uh, distance, really, and how it's getting from one place to, to the next. Um, and we, for the, to continue that, that analogy we refer to like the nervous system as the brain and the spinal cord and then all the associated nerves and so I assume that the endocrine system is like all of the things related to the hormones where they come from which I think are glands right um, mm -hmm. so all of that is the endocrine system is that right exactly so the hormone so the whole family uh, of all the hormones we talk about the endocrine system so it's all the various glands all the hormones and the hormones are all talking to each other, not just, you know, uh, they're not just acting independently. Um, and the other thing to uh, the analogy between the nervous system and the uh, endocrine system is that the nervous system in general terms tends to be a bit quicker mm, than right. the endocrine system. However, that's as with all things, one doesn't wait, want to make two, you know, for example, the, you know, release of adrenaline, the fight or flight, that's a hormone. And that kicks in pretty quickly, right? When right. you're just about to go on stage, your heart rate goes up straight away, doesn't it? So, um, you know, again, we're talking finer, fine details, and there are lots of analogies. 
but certainly going back to what you were saying, that the nervous system being the brain or the central nervous system is the brain, the spinal cord, and then the peripheral nervous system, exactly the same with the, with the endocrine system. It's a, a network of all the various um, endocrine glands, the thyroid gland, the ovaries, the testes, uh, you know, the adrenal cortex. Um, so it's, it's a, exactly, it's a very similar um, system, if you will. Yeah. And I don't want to get into too much detail. It might start to go over my head, but um, how do the hormones um, affect these changes? Yeah, sure. Well, the, so the hormone, uh, as I say, typically transported in the blood, and, when it, and then it arrives at the cell, uh, the designated cell where it's going to have an effect. Let's say it's, it's arrived at the bone. Um, and then it, will, it needs to get into the cell. Um, and depending on the type of hormone, I think we don't need to go into that much detail. But anyway, suffice to say, it moses on into inside the cell, into the nucleus, into the DNA. And that influences the expression of proteins. So um, that, I mean, you know, describing it like that, it's like, wow, that is cool, isn't it? Um, so that's why they're so important. Right. It influences the expression of your DNA. And also, uh, you're, you've just said something that helps me understand epigenetics better. You know, I don't know. It's not my, not my field, mm -hmm. but it's such a fascinating thing. I think we've all heard the studies about, you know, 9-11 women who were pregnant and how, you know, those stress hormones affect their children. And I never mm -hmm. really understood it that really is a helpful key there. Um, so we've talked about, you mentioned estrogen. I think we all are familiar with testosterone. We're going to talk a little bit later about cortisol. Um, what are some other examples of hormones that we might overlook? Um, I think probably most people have heard about the thyroid gland. It lives in your neck and it secretes a hormone um, pyroxene and that affects your metabolic rate. So the rate at which you convert uh, food into energy within the body that's controlled uh, by thyroxine but as with many, all the hormones we're talking about it doesn't have just one single action it also has an effect on bone health for example uh, and uh, cardiovascular um, function uh, heart health if you will so that's another example I think that mm, people probably will have heard about When we're talking about hormone health, so you've laid out sort of the ba the most basic information about hormones. Um, so as we go into hormone health, what can go wrong with hormones? Well, I mean, you could have a, you know, there could be a, a it could be a medical condition. You know, there are certain medical conditions like people have probably heard, you know, uh, of an underactive thyroid. So basically, you know, the body is an amazing machine, amazing system. And actually the fact that it works so beautifully is, is really incredible. But listen, sometimes it goes wrong. <laughs> and sometimes there are medical conditions like the thyroid gland just, you know, it's had enough. And I think probably most people have also heard about diabetes. So the problem there, insulin is a hormone that controls your blood sugar levels. And if that isn't doing its job, either the cells aren't responding to the insulin or you're not producing enough insulin, you will get a, um, diabetes, either type two or type one, respectively. Um, so, you know, there are certain uh, medical conditions uh, in the endocrine system that uh, that can be a cause of it going wrong. But also the other thing to point out is, um, you know, to a, cert 
to a large degree, actually, I would say that we actually have uh, control over our hormones, or we can really harness our hormones and help them to be healthy by our behaviours. Um, in terms of what we eat, in terms of how much we exercise, and in terms of how much sleep we get. So, um, you know, this is a positive message that you can keep your hormones in balance if, you know, you have a look at the balance of your behaviours. Yeah, we, um, I'll, I'll reveal that Nikki and I were talking earlier and discussing, you know, these fundamental components of wellness. So um, you just mentioned what you eat, when you exercise, how much you exercise, and your sleep quality and how much sleep you're getting. Um, and I had, I suggested also stress as a piece of that. We were going back and forth um, about whether it's a fundamental mm-hmm. for or a holy tri- tri- uh, trinity of, of wellness factors. Um, but they all really interact, right? And you were reminding me just sort of about the importance of the balance in all three of those things, eating, exercising, and sleeping. Do you want to talk a little more about that? Yes, exactly. I think, um, I mean, uh, you know, I like to keep things simple. So that's why I made it three of them four. (laughs) Um, And so it sounds great in principle. It's like, oh, fine, you got these three things. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we have to go into the detail of that. It's very easy to get diverted onto just one of those things. For example, you know, your diet, your nutrition, you might get really focused on that. All right, I've got to, you know, eat eat this particular way, uh, even at this particular time. But then actually, if you're not doing that in conjunction with, uh, you know, your training load, your, your, your dance lessons, and you're not doing that in conjunction with how much sleep you're getting, when you're getting sleep, you know. So that, and that is challenging. There's no denying about it. And certainly a dancer's, lifestyle it's it's complicated you know if you've got late night performances um even though you know in your head it's like oh yes i want to eat dinner at seven you can't if you're on stage at 7 30 for example so you know the timing is 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 challenging um and you know uh even if you're feeling tired and actually you know frankly <laughs> you know that you need a rest if you've got a rehearsal you know you've got a call for a rehearsal call then actually you know so so, you know, um, that's, that's where the challenge comes in. How are you going to actually m- manage the balance of these factors uh, in the context of, you know, what you, what you need to do? Yeah, I think of it as like getting all of those things to baseline. And I think sometimes certain components are neglected and others are obsessed over. And even, you know, in our field of dance medicine and science, I think we have focused a lot on sort of eating, nutrition, exercise, exercise physiology, and there is an emerging interest in sleep, thank God, because, I mean, Mm -hmm. so many dancers, I think especially our student dancers, are really sleep-deprived. We did a podcast recently on sleep, and I found it really helpful to apply some of the sleep hygiene that I learned from from that episode. Yeah. Um, And I know there are people researching this, but I always have students who want to do studies about sleep because they know they're all so, so exhausted. And if you're not sleeping enough, it doesn't matter how well balanced your diet is, you're still going to have deficient health and well-being, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I'm also, I'm reading a book also about sleep at the moment. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, what can I say? Uh, It's really good stuff, both from 
your mental health point of view and how fresh you are and cognitive function, but actually physical. You know, um, uh, you can be practicing all the hours there are in the studio, um, but actually, um, you know, you need the sleep. So the next day you wake up and actually your motor skills, as I said, the body is amazing. It will refine the motor skills for you. It's like sleep yourself to be a better dancer. I know it's not an attractive message, but actually um, very, very important. And especially in the age group, the younger age group, um, you know, when the neural connections and everything, you know, they are developing, you've got neuroplasticity there, but you need sleep to really get those uh, fine tuned. So if in doubt, sleep. Yes. Yes. (laughs) There we go. I love that motto. I would live by that. Um, You've talked about the the wide reaching impact of hormones. You've talked already about how they affect nerves and the gut and bones and muscles and blood sugar and so many things. So um, because they're so complex, I would imagine it's really hard to know when somebody has a hormone issue versus any number of other issues. So how do you tell if someone someone is in a state of poor hormone health? Is it blood work or um, are there other strategies that you use to figure that out? Well, you're absolutely right because hormones is, you know, uh, are complex and interactive. Um, you know, it can be difficult to, you know, narrow it down. Um, I gave the example when I uh, snapped my anterior cruciate ligament skiing a couple of years ago. I mean, listen, it was pretty clear. Um, you know, I twisted my knee awkwardly, my ski came off, uh, it felt really weird and unstable. And it's like, yeah, I didn't need a formal medical diagnosis to know what was going on. But because hormones have these uh, network effects throughout the body, then someone presenting, for example, saying a dancer's presenting to me saying, I'm feeling really tired. Um, you know, before I rush off and measure cortisol or whatever it is, it's like, well, let's just talk about what you're doing. And it might be a very simple explanation, like we said, they're just simply not sleeping enough and that's why they're fatigued. There are other reasons, Um, you know, it could be an infection. Uh, My son had glandular fever a couple of years ago and that was certainly making him very, feel very fatigued. Um, And also, so the first, so the sort of the first thing uh, to do, I do as a doctor, when I see a dancer who's presenting with some, some symptoms, it's to try and really dig down into is there anything else going on and what are they doing is uh, in terms of their behaviors like we discussed and so by the time I come to the blood test ultimately yes you have to do a blood test because we've said these are internal chemical messengers but at least I can have narrowed it down um, you know what I'm thinking uh, is going on and also what I need to exclude so for example in this example if a dancer is fatigued I might be, you know, have a high index of suspicion that actually it is their hormones that are uh, imbalanced. But um, if, for example, they've had a recent sore throat or something and they're, they're, one of their glands is a bit swollen up, I will also do a glandular fever test. So, um, so uh, ultimately, yes, it does come down to a blood test, but already from the person, this is, and this is basically the uh, basis of medicine, really, you know, have a good discussion with the, with the person find out what's going on in their life, what's what's happening, what other symptoms they've got. And so by the time you come to the blood test, you're pretty like, uh, you know, if you had to, you know, make a, di- you've already got a provisional diagnosis uh, of what's going on and the blood test will help. Yeah, the blood test will help confirm that and also give you uh, uh, an idea of the degree 
For example, if you think, oh, I don't think this person, this dancer is eating enough, and you're pretty sure that this is, you know, what's, what's making them feel fatigued, then when I do the blood test, the exact, the value of the thyroid um, uh, axis, the hormones, now that will give me an idea of to, to what degree uh, they're under fueling, for example. Um, we're going to talk more about that in particular. It's so important for dancers. Um, I want to talk about a few particulars. So one is this underfueling concern or overfueling or, you know, issues associated mm -hmm. with disordered eating. Um, also specific hormones, vitamin D, but let's, um, let's start with just talking also about hormone changes. There are different phases of our life where we experience natural changes in our hormones, of course, and um, probably the most well-known is puberty. Um, yep. And I think, you know, most of us, if we're adults, we've lived through it. And we remember it's a tumultuous and difficult time. Um, so what are some of maybe the lesser known features of puberty or the well-known ones that really can impact a dancer's um, lifestyle and exp their, their day? Of course, the hormones, uh, the changes in puberty, you know, uh, testosterone tends to, uh, you know, make the boys more muscular, for example. And increase their hemoglobin, whereas the estrogen for women, of course, now we're talking about uh, menstrual cycles, etc. So, uh, you know, broader hips, uh, breast development, etc. So, I think everyone is is fine with that. But I suppose what we're saying is is that the additional effects of the change in these sex steroid hormones that maybe we're not so aware of. So, apart from the physical change, also, by the way, uh, you know, the the wiring in your brain. Yes. You were talking about uh, neurotransmitters earlier. And of course, testosterone and estrogen, um, you know, they affect the, the wiring of the brain, literally, uh, right, which uh, what the balance of neurotransmitters as well. So that is really important to remember, uh, but also a consequence of the physical changes. Um, uh, you know, the proportions change a lot during puberty, you know your arms and legs start getting longer. <laughs> and so, you know, where before, your, if you put your leg in attitude, it would be there, but now actually it's behind you. And it's like, oh my God, my leg is now longer or in a slightly different position. And so it's that awareness of where your body is in space, proprioception that changes massively. And that can have a knock-on psychological effect because you know someone who was very good at doing a turn, for example, but now their center of balance has changed because they've grown taller and, and whatever. Um, then it's like, then that can be a psychological effect. It's like, oh my, my goodness, I can't do this anymore. But it's just a, a temporary thing. You just have to literally your boat, your body has to rewire and, and, and reorganize itself and know where everything is, what's going on. So I think those are the, the knock-on effects of the physical changes driven by hormones, of course, and also therefore the psychological effects either directly from the hormone changes or as a consequence of the physical change. So that's an example of some of the things uh, that happen in puberty. And I would imagine that can snowball because those psychological concerns can then lead to behavior changes that then affect the hormones. So, you know, you start gaining weight. Voila. And oh, look, you're, you got, you're getting into this already. You the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, um, that must just add like more confusion to an already really tumultuous situation and really put dancers at um, distinct hormone health risk during that time. 
Yes, exactly. So I think it's all about education and information, uh, you know, uh, and I've just made a, a course recently. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's applicable to dancers as well, but it's, it was directed at the athletes and it goes through these things. So if, the, if as a young dancer, you know in advance, uh, you might, these are the consequences of the hormones that you, you know, physical consequences, you'll change proportions. And so that they're aware that if therefore they suddenly feel they're losing technique or something, it, you know, it might be down ultimately to their hormones and, you know, um, and also the teachers being aware of that and not giving them a hard time because, you know, they're off balance or something like that. Um, so you're absolutely right, because if, if, that, if you're not aware of something, then you get anxious, upset. And so as you quite rightly say, that's going to put up your stress levels. And so um, just uh, so knowing your own body and being aware of, you know, physiology, it, it helps. <laughs> um, is this a good time to introduce calcium? Um, I, you know, growing dancers need to be thinking about calcium. Mm, and sure. I, I bet there's some interaction, right, between calcium and hormone health from what we know of like um, red S or female athlete triad or things like that. Um, do you want to introduce calcium and talk about that a little bit here? Sure. So, I mean, one of the things that happens during puberty is everything is changing like we discussed um, and also bone health. Um, you're rapidly growing of course you or you have grown a lot before puberty and then puberty sets in so now these bones have elongated but now you need to really fill them in as it were um you know get them calcified get them strong increase your bone mineral density and this is really really rapid during adolescence years so that you get to your peak bone mass in the early 20s and in order to do that um you know i use the word calcification and there's <laughs> uh, so absolutely you need calcium you also need your steroid hormones, uh, sex steroid hormones, whether that's estrogen or progesterone to help that calcium be used for the bone health. Uh, and also another hormone, it's vitamin D. Vitamin D is actually a hormone, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, like with all things, it is these three things. It's the, it's the, the sex steroid hormone, uh, it's the calcium uh, intake through the diet, but it's also the vitamin D because the vitamin D will help you to you know, put all that together to for your bone health, and uh, vitamin D, um, the main source of vitamin D is the action of sunlight on the skin. And I'm sitting here in London, looking out the window, and well, I don't know where the sun's gone. There's not much of it. So uh, generally, I mean, unless you live somewhere, maybe Australia, but even you know, nor in general terms, uh, we should all be taking vitamin D supplement. Um, especially during the winter months, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, that is uh, where you don't see much sun because, uh, you know, you won't have enough. And then even if you're, even if you're, you know, eating loads of calcium and you, but you haven't got enough vitamin D in the system, then it's not going to be so optimal. So uh, I always talk about calcium and vitamin D uh, together. Uh, you need both of them uh, uh, working uh, in unison. And you can't get the, your full quota of vitamin D through diet alone, even if you're eating loads of oily fish and dairy produce and everything. You can get your correct, you know, your uh, required amount of calcium, but you can't get uh, vitamin D because it's more dependent on the sun. It's very unusual. It's the only, it's the only uh, hormone vitamin 
that actually we depend on the sun pretty anyway. So that's why it's called the sunshine vitamin, I think. So calcium always, I think it's good to talk about uh, vitamin D in the same breath. Yeah, I, when I was a teenager, so since we're talking sort of just talking about puberty, when I was a teenager, my school friends used to tease me and be like, how do you blanch during the summer? Because all of my friends would go to soccer camp or, you know, outdoors camp Mm -hmm. and they'd be in the sun all day long playing and they'd all get tan and sun kissed and soak up vitamin D. And I spent my summers in, you know, these antiseptic (laughs) studio environments with fluorescent lighting from, you know, we'd walk to the studio a little bit, but then all day long I was in fluorescent lights and they were like, you're you're even paler than you were in May. What's going on? Um, So I think, yeah. Very good point. So I think dancers, you're right. It's an all round thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, And you mentioned how vitamin D is a hormone, which I... I've heard that and I just find it fascinating. I guess it's, and correct me here, it's because the sun, um, the way the endocrine system produces vitamin D through the UV light or something, right? (laughs) So it's because the endocrine. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, strictly speaking, I should say it's a pro-hormone. But what happens is the sunlight acts on your skin um, uh, and there's... um, and there, a chemical reaction happens, which produces the inactive form of, the vit- of vitamin D, which is a pro-hormone. And then that has to go, it gets shunted off to uh, the liver and kidney, and they sort of um, uh, spice it up, shall I say, <laughs> activate it. So, but the, the original source is the action. Um, don't ask me the exact chemical reaction. I, you know, uh, that is complicated. But the literally the action of the sun on your skin. Um, so you're absolutely right to say that as a dancer, um, you know, uh, I mean, I know there is a, what is it, Jacob's Pillow, where they have an outdoor right. stage. But generally, yeah. dancing is done inside. So you're you're not going to see much of the sun even in the summer. So and also it will depend on your you know your skin type as well. Uh, you know, people with darker skin we know it more at risk, they, they can't, you know, the sun can't get through. So again, there are all sorts of, uh, you know, we have to look at the individual as well. And, you know, what type of, if you're a dancer, you're going to be indoors as well. So, you know, it, it's, you have to take into account all these factors. And I don't usually um, like to take supplements. I generally would prefer to get my mm. needs met from food, but I'm a big proponent of vitamin D supplements. Um, but Especially, I mean, it, it, we're an international audience here, so it kind of depends on where you are. But um, it's not the most in, in the U.S. Vitamins and supplements are not regulated particularly well. So, um, do you have any advice uh, in terms of sourcing vitamin D, or like when to take it, or what to think about? You know, should I avoid taking it when I'm drinking my coffee in the morning? Things like that. Um, yeah, well, you're, I, first of all, I totally agree with you. I'm not a big proponent or fan of taking supplements and things like this because, um, because most of the uh, micronutrients, the, both, of course, the macronutrients, you know, the, the food types, but also, the, you know, most of the vitamins, most of the vitamins and minerals you can get through your diet. So really, if you are eating a varied diet, you shouldn't really need to take supplements. But the one exception is vitamin D because we just, 
gone through why you can't get enough through um, the diet alone. It's this unique hormone where you need the sun. And unless you are, you know, out in the sun all the time or a fair proportion, uh, you are inevitable, you know, for example, if you live in uh, the Sahara or something, but even then you don't want to, you, you don't want to, you, you shouldn't be, you know, but again, then it's fine balance you, equally, you don't want to expose your skin to the sun too much. Anyway, suffice to say, um, and certainly in the UK, I know that um, even if uh, we were to walk around naked all winter long, <laughs> right. uh, apart from freezing to death um, and looking very strange, we would not get enough sun. So exactly. So the uh, it's much better to just be aware of that and just just take um, good quality through the winter. And that's what I recommend all my dancers and athletes to do. And actually, maybe even year long. I personally take it year long, and so do and so do my um, well, all our whole family. By the way, uh, my elderly mother because because she doesn't go out very often, but also my. Uh, you know, young uh, sporting sons, um, uh, they take, we take it all year round. And I would, in terms of quality, you're right, supplements are not regulated um, because they're not medicines, you see. So uh, I always advise people to take, we call it informed sport uh, supplements. And it's, that means it's been batch tested. I believe there is the same equivalent in the US, right? So it's been given the stamp of approval that this is good stuff, you know, and it's been tested and it's not got whatever. I mean, it's unlikely, to be honest, that vitamin D would have anything untoward in it, but you never know. So I don't take any chances. Make sure it's a good quality supplement. Um, and, you know, you'd have to really overdo it. You know, people get worried about, oh, what happens if I take too much toxic levels, da 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 but honestly, you'd have to really go it some to uh, overdose on it. You'd be having to take like, uh, you know, 20,000 international units per day for it to go high. Whereas normally uh, most people, a thousand international units per day is, is okay. So, but, you know, so, you know, that's just, just be sensible about how much you take, about the quality of it. And if you, you know, if you're in doubt or you really want to know, then um, get a blood test and see what your level is. And it's, it's one of the few things that we can actually store, right? So like if you have too much vitamin C, you're just going to yep. pee it out and it's just a waste. of It's literally Correct. putting your exactly. money in the toilet, whereas vitamin D you can actually hold on to and save for later. So um, all the more. Reason. Yes. And also that's the other thing about the, over, you know, the theoretical risk of overdosing um because it is you can't just um pee it out so i don't but i don't want people to go away with the impression that oh gosh I, if i take a supplement of vitamin d i'm going to be you know get toxic but but you know um i would prefer people to be taking vitamin d than not because there's very good evidence um from studies that vitamin d is particularly helpful for dancers um one study showing that there's increase in muscle strength uh, and you can jump higher if you take vitamin D. It's like, wow, I'll have that. And also that there was, uh, you have less, not just bone injuries, but less also soft tissue injuries if you're taking uh, vitamin D, a colleague of mine here in the UK. So there's so many good reasons why you should be taking a vitamin D supplement uh, if you're not doing so already. And, uh, you know, just take a, a, a thousand international units a day is, 
is, you know, uh, usually the fine dose, don't go for the super high ones. But if you're in any doubt or you're worried, then you just get a blood test and you see what your level is and you can see where you are in the range. And um, in this COVID time too, you know, I mean, we're, everybody is becoming more aware of yep. the relationship of vitamin D to uh, the immune system and inflammation. Uh, should I take it with a glass of milk? Does it matter if I take it at night or in the morning or anything like that? Do we know? Uh, no, I don't think really for this one. Okay. Okay. Um, I know there are some, for example, if, you're take, if you are taking an iron supplement, you should take it with vitamin C and apparently not with tea in the morning. But, you know, um, I think for vitamin D, just remember to take it. Is, yeah, let's just start there. Let's is the make, yeah. is, you know, that's a good starting point, right. uh, really. That's to remember to take it as a thing. Um, but just to go back on that point, very important point you made that uh, vitamin D is, impo- is it's for bone health, it's for muscle uh, recovery particularly, okay, and immunity. Um, so less likely to get infections, uh, I mean, listen, the jury's out a little bit on COVID because there's lots of other right. factors why you might get COVID, by the way. But uh, again, it's not going to harm, put it that way. It's not going to harm. And we have got strong evidence that you're less likely to get um, infections in general over the winter if you've got a decent level of vitamin D. So, you know, again, uh, three definite benefits from it. Uh, not that expensive. Um, so, yeah. I even, <laughs> get some. <laughs> I mean, last word on vitamin D, but I, I think it's fascinating. Um, I even find it improves my mood. So I don't know if that's, um, I feel like it really. Yeah, well, listen, it's, the... uh, I wouldn't be surprised because uh, if you have a low level of vitamin D, it does impact your uh, well being because the reason why is because I told you that vitamin D is a hormone, and I've just told you that hormones are very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for you know mental health physical health and so that's why so absolutely right uh and sometimes i review lots of blood tests and sometimes the person is doing a blood test because i i routinely check everyone's vitamin d if someone comes to me a dancer comes and says i'm feeling tired or whatever i just put it vitamin d there as part of the thing you know the the workup of all their just because it's such an easy thing uh to correct if if you pick that up that that's a problem um, I have enjoyed this tangent into something I'm interested in and don't know as much about as I'd like. Um, but if we go back to hormone changes, um, mm-hmm. we were talking about puberty earlier. Let's talk about menopause and perimenopause and the hormone changes that happen in middle life, which, you know, when I work with middle-aged women, I feel like this is also a really tumultuous time. And I feel like we don't, highlight it as much because I don't know it's happening to middle-aged women or something I don't know but um let's talk about uh perimenopause and menopause what are the hormone changes during this time yeah I absolutely agree with you just as you know people should we should provide more information about puberty absolutely we should, you know, uh, we should support women, give them the information they need, because I'll tell you one thing, that one thing we know for sure, every woman will go through <laughs> perimenopause and menopause, you know, um, and it wasn't, listen, you know, like in the um, Tudor times or whatever, you know, whatever century that was, uh, <laughs> the 15th century or something, um, you know, women were dying. Uh, you know, the life expectancy was such that women, 
might not even get through the perimenopause and certainly not the menopause or if they did they just scraped in there they'd only spend a couple of years in the menopause you know but nowadays we have to bear in mind that you know hopefully uh, i hope you know no we know what there's not a serious situation but you know most women can expect to live to about 80 so you're going to definitely every woman will definitely be going through the perimenopause and will be living it you'll be living a third of your life in the menopausal state so do you know what i mean it's like uh we certainly need to be aware of this um and the reason why it is a tumultuous time is because uh, since when your period started average age is 12 dancers sometimes it's a little bit later but you know, you're going to have a good, um, you know, 25 years or something of having periods. And so your body, you know, gets into the routine, the rhythm of having this variation in the female hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And then suddenly perimenopause, uh, what happens is the ovaries start to get a bit like, ah, had enough, thanks. And they don't produce so much or not reliably enough you know what you've been used to estrogen progesterone and we've just said how important hormones are have effects throughout the body estrogen you know uh in the brain cognitive function the gut the bone the muscle you know all these things and suddenly now there's a much lower level of it all right uh, in perimenopause so no wonder <laughs> we feel dreadful mm-hmm. uh, uh and then of course the menopause is when literally it just stops entirely okay and so it's a pretty dramatic change. And I know men listening to this, you know, men will say, hey, well, listen, our testosterone goes down too. Yes, I know, guys, I accept your testosterone does go down, <laughs> but very, very gradually and only a little bit. Okay. But women, it goes from, you know, literally falls off a cliff. Okay. Or a, a sort of a, certainly a very steep slope, shall we say. So that is why uh, the perimenopause is so challenging. Uh, you know, it does affect your mood. Uh, I'm, uh, well, I can be honest, and I'm speaking also from personal experience, so I can tell you. <laughs> it affects your mood. One moment you will be really angry and shouting, and the next moment you will be in tears for no reason. Uh, it's like, this is really crazy. Your family will think you're going slightly mad. Um, uh, you know, for me, I wasn't like so clear thinking. I tend to make lists, but actually I was forgetting what I was meant to put on a list. It was like, oh, this is dreadful. Um, hot flushes, absolutely horrible. Uh, you know, just like for no reason, again, just feeling really, really burning hot. Um, so yeah, that's what you have to look forward to. No, but listen, <laughs> the thing is, if you know, if you understand that's what it is, it's like, okay, fine, this is, but it's normal physiology. It's normal. It's not like, oh my goodness, I haven't got a medical condition. It's, this is normal physiology. It's just being aware and accepting, okay, fine. And knowing that that's what the cause is, why you're not going mad. <laughs> This is just what's happening. Uh, and then depending, of course, it's every woman's choice, you know, considering is HRT something you want to consider, okay? Uh, and so, you know, there are certain uh, conditions, situations where it's contraindicated. So if you've got a personal family history of uh, breast cancer or, you know, a known uh, clotting disorder and things like this, then sure, HRT, I'm afraid, isn't on the cards. Or for example, yeah, so. But if uh, you're not, then don't dismiss it. Please don't dismiss it. And please don't li- listen to uh, sensationalist media stuff. Get the facts to yourself. Inform yourself. You make an informed decision. We're intelligent women, right? So go and have a look, uh, you know, and you'll find that actually 
uh, HRT does, it's true, slightly increase your risk of breast cancer, but uh, far less than if you are overweight, you're smoking and you're drinking. So you know what I mean? It's all mm -hmm. comparative risk. Mm -hmm. And actually it decreases your overall mortality. In other words, you're less likely uh, to die from uh, you know, heart disease if you're on HRT. The reason is because estrogen is really, it's uh, cardioprotective as we say. Um, and, but when we reach the menopause, then our risk of heart disease equals down now that of men. So, you know, there are lots of good reasons uh, why, but the main one is quality of life. If like me, you just look, it's like, look, I can't be doing it with all this, right. you know, uh, emotional labor <laughs> mood. I can't be doing with all this. This is miserable. I, I just like, ah, no, I can't. I've got, you know, I want to have a good quality of life. Thanks very much. I need to get on with my life. I need to get on with my dancing. And it's, you know, so, um, you know, HRT is, that's really the reason. Um, uh, but everyone is individual. Everyone has to make their own decisions, but make sure it's an informed decision and you're looking at really good, reliable uh, information. Uh, I mean, in here in the UK, we have a thing called the British Menopause Society. I think you can probably access that in the US as well. Or anyway, basically go to a reliable source. Here in England, we have the Royal College of Obstetrics Gynecology. So, you know, really look at the proper information and make your own decision um, for, for you, what's going to work for you. And I think this is really important in this conversation because there's this... Um sort of bias there's this uh, this idea that dancers are all young um we, we if only that, yeah exactly <laughs> don't let our youthful appearance fool eternal you. youth um yeah exactly there are so many great dancers out there who are either 40 and still on stage at the major ballet companies or you know over 40 and still touring the world with all different kinds of works or, you know, performing on Broadway into their, you know, 60s yep. and 70s. They're every professional older dancers are everywhere, um, as are, of course, a lot of amateur passionate dancers or, you know, retired dancers who, who still go to dance class regularly. Right. There are so many dancers who are out there dancing over 40. Um so I just think it's really important to talk about and and maybe also um, when we think specifically about the dancers in menopause, um, you know, the muscle mass loss, you have this population that maybe has a tendency towards being hypermobile and then they start to lose muscle mass. And, yep. um, you know, I think there's just a lot of factors to consider. And like you said, I wish that we talked about it more before it happened um, to prepare people and help them make good choices. Yeah, well, listen, I agree with you. I mean, I guess I'm a, at an advantage because I am a medical doctor um, and I'm a woman. And so I had already made my plans. Uh, I already knew, I knew, but but I still didn't, you know, I'd, um, I sort of made my investigations. But until I actually reach the perimenopause, it's like I'll leave the final decision until I get there. And then then it's like, well, I'm definitely not putting up with this. I, I am one of those uh, older, keen amateurs, um, you know, and so I can't dance like this. I can't dance like this if I can't remember what the step is. It's like, this is hopeless. So, you know, apart from, you know, from that point of view as well. Um, so, and I still do, you know, four classes a week. Um, 
feeling much better because of HRT, thank you. And I've got, you know, my ACL repaired, uh, constructed, and I've got two hip replacements. So I think definitely we need to go beyond, get beyond this concept that, oh, when a woman is, uh, uh, you know, perimenopause, menopause, it's like, ah, that's it. She's on the scrap heap. It's like, absolutely not. Thank you very much. You know, um, <laughs> we've got, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, We've got stuff to do, thanks. So absolutely don't think and don't let anyone give the impression or tell you that you're over the hill or something. Uh, even though you're teenage, you're, you know, I'm, my boys are in their 20s now. They do think that I'm definitely very old, um, but they do respect me. They do respect me that I'm still doing my classes. I'm still doing stuff. And so, you know what I mean? Uh, if you have the passion to do it, then you definitely can but you just have to work out what's right for you don't get diverted by what other people think or say or do you know go you know find out what works for you um let's start talking about some um specific hormones i'm particularly interested in cortisol you know as we all are it's all over the media cortisol high cortisol levels this that belly fat adrenal fatigue blah 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 it's like in the popular mm -hmm. media but it's also you know cortisol is also a tool that we use a lot in research um to measure stress uh what do you want what do you want to say about cortisol well the main thing uh, you know again singling out cortisol as this bad hormone it's very unfair is <laughs> the main thing. I mean, you know, uh, cortisol, the body will do what it needs to do quite happily. You know, uh, you have a diurnal variation of cortisol. You produce it peaks in the morning to help you get up, give you the get up and go. And then it goes a little bit, you know, and then it goes down later in the day and then you go to sleep. So, but to be honest, quite a lot of it is, again, going back to what we do, our behaviors. And again, we revisit the sleep thing. Uh -huh. Right, so the cortisol, the body has an internal clock. That's how it secretes its cortisol, right? But if you, if you uh, sort of, you know, interfere with that clock in the sense that you stay up very late, you don't get enough sleep, um, you give the body this extra stress, i.e. not enough sleep, for example, um, guess what? Your cortisol is going to get really, really confused, right? So it's what we call circadian misalignment. So you're fighting against your own body's uh, internal clocks. So you can see it's not going to end well, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Um, so I think, oh, well, making cortisol as the bad guy, it's like, well, maybe you should, you know, just have a look at what you're doing and as far as you can. I know that a dancer's life is, you know, everyone's life is demanding. And sometimes, yes, sometimes you do have to listen. I've been a doctor. For, <laughs> uh, you know, I prefer not to stay up all night working in the hospital. But, you know, what I mean, you know, sometimes you have to do things. And but if there if you are given a choice, shall can I go to bed early at a decent time or shall I just stay up watching the TV till really late? You know, where you have a choice and an option then you know, your choice of behaviors is gonna really help your cortisol. Um, uh, so that's the other thing. And also just to clarify that um, adrenal fatigue is not a medical condition. It's not recognized. I don't, you know, uh, basically what it means is um, that if you don't balance your behaviors like we described in the sleep patterns, et cetera, what happens is the cortisol, the, it's not adrenal fatigue, it's actually, 
the, the, the cortisol, it just gets really confused. It's like, well, I'm meant to be my, the internal body clock is telling me to secrete at these times of the day. And yet this person is um, putting me in this stress situation. So maybe I'll just secrete quite a lot, like all the time and not do this variation. <laughs> it's the variation in hormones that our body is very sensitive to. The body doesn't work on something that's a constant signal, a yeah. constant you know, tone. It's looking for the light and shade, just as you do in a piece of music. It's not just one note held all the time, is it? It's a variation. Uh, you know, it goes up, it goes down, da, 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 da. The music, same for the hormones. That's what our body recognizes. So if your cortisol doesn't, just isn't, it's just like stuck as it were, and not showing any light and shade, just as you do in dancing, you're not showing musicality, um, then, you know, actually you have to go back and it's like, well, maybe you haven't got the right balance of your behaviors. Right. Um, are there other specific hormones that you think are particularly important for dancers that maybe you look at? Um, like you said, you always do a vitamin D markup, uh, workup. Is there, are there other things that you're sort of on alert for when you work with dancers? Well, listen, depending, uh, I mean, I often, I normally see a dancer when they've got, you know, they're, they're got a concern or worry. So, um, you know, like the fatigue one, we, the situation I mentioned, uh, if I suspect that they're not fueling correctly, then absolutely I'll be doing a full thyroid uh, axis test. Of course, if the, if the female dancers and her periods are irregular, then I'm definitely going to be doing, uh, you know, female sex hormone profile. Uh, if it's a male dancer, uh, who's fatigued, um, uh, then again, I will be doing, I'll be doing very similar things. I will be doing always sex steroid hormones. They're a very good indicator of what's going on. Um, thyroid function, very helpful. Metabolic rate. Um, 9M cortisol, I will do um, just to see, give me an idea uh, of the training load. Uh, vitamin D, uh, B12, ferritin, get an idea of iron if they've got enough iron. B12 as well, uh, if that's not, uh, if that's low, uh, then that again that can make you feel, um, you know, sluggish, not 100%. So those are the the sort of the typical things I'll be looking at. Um, I think this segues us right into uh, relative energy deficiency in sport, or we like to say in dance, so red D or um, the female athlete tri like triad, um, <laughs> or eating disorders. And those are all kind of related, but can be very different. Um, so it all, from your perspective, from a hormone perspective, it's to do with um, inadequate fueling, right? That's the most hormone affecting component of these. Do you want to talk a bit about, um, about, relative energy deficiency and amenorrhea and dancers and hormone health in that regard? Sure. So I think, um, so the underlying problem in all of these things, red, 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 I don't know, anyway, <laughs> relative energy deficiency and dance, let's call it that, yeah. Um, what's going on? So um, it's the, you haven't got enough uh, you've got, you're in low energy availability. So I think we should just define what low energy availability is and then hopefully that will become clear. So um, uh, obviously as a dancer, you eat food and it's, uh, quite a lot and some of that food, that energy you get derived from that food, that's 
uh, partitioned to cover your training demands. So, you know, today I did a ballet class, for example, in the morning. So some of what I ate will go to cover what I need to do that class or whatever. And then the residual energy, the energy uh, after you've accounted for that is sort of just sort of like to keep you ticking over. It's equivalent to basal metabolic rate. So, because as you know, even if you lie in bed all day, if only, um, if you lie in bed all day um, and don't move at all, I mean, literally don't get out of bed or anything, right? Um, you know, that takes a lot of energy just to lie still in bed. Right, just your kidneys we're to function. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Excretion, respiration, keep the heart going to breathe, uh, to keep warm. We're very wasteful because we're, we're warm-blooded, you know. So <laughs> if, but you can see why you might be in low energy availability, you not, might not have enough uh, energy in the tank to cover those basic requirements either because you have not put enough energy in in the first place or because you've burnt up so much, used up so much uh, through your dancing. So it's not just as simple as saying, oh, well, you haven't eaten enough. Well, it's true. You haven't eaten enough relative to what you want to do, right? Um, and this is the thing about the intentional, unintentional. If unintentionally, you just got, you know, you're doing lots of uh, dance classes um, and rehearsals, um, and you just haven't factored in that you need to eat a bit more, that would be unintentional, agreed? So unintentionally, you've ended up in low energy availability, all right? But in dance, because it is an aesthetic discipline, um, you know, we, some dancers can be of the mindset that they should be eating less, so they look a certain way or they perform better, although as we'll discuss actually, that's a <laughs> misconception, uh, then uh, you're going to end up in low energy availability because you don't have enough energy in the first place, you see. But in some ways it doesn't really, however you get there, whether it's an intentional or unintentional, the net result is the same, right. that your body hasn't got enough energy to, yeah, so, so now physiologically, so the body is like, right, what are you gonna do? So the body quite intelligently, if you will, or evolutionary, what it does, it, it, it looks for ways to save energy. The one, and one of the great ways it can save energy is it can dial down the metabolic rate. So it can dial down the thyroid axis. It can also save a lot of energy by dialing down some other hormones. In the case of women, it's actually quite, you know, it takes energy to have a menstrual period and a menstrual cycle and the hormones go up and down and everything. So it can switch those off. So that's when amenorrhea means no period. So your periods stop happening, okay? Uh, and in men, the equivalent is that the testosterone will go down. So this is what uh, I'm seeing, unfortunately, quite a lot in dancers, especially during this current, you know, lockdown situation. Because of the stress, they just get, you know, like they want to take control uh, of things they feel they have got control of in terms of how much they're dancing and how much they're eating. And also we did a, a survey recently published, people can have a look at that if you want, and we devised a questionnaire to try and unpick why dancers might uh, get themselves into this situation in terms of they, their belief system that they think that they will be a better dancer if they're lighter or eat less or, or whatever it is. So the net, so low energy availability results in REDS. REDS is the outcome, the clinical outcomes, adverse outcomes of being a low energy availability. And those are like we just said, in women, period switching off, okay? Um, also, it can be increased risk of injuries because your hormones are dialed down, right? It's all kind of making sense now. Um, and so that's what relative energy deficiency in dance 
is. Um, now, where, does eat, where do eating disorders fit into all of this? Though you, I think some people still think that in order to have uh, REDS, you, I get some people saying, oh, well, that's an eating disorder. It's like, well, no, not really, because there's a spectrum of eating. There's a spectrum of eating where you can eat sufficiently to cover your demands, right? That's fine, great, no worries. Then the next sort of potential on the slippery slope is disordered eating. So that's like where you are uh, intentionally restricting what you're eating. Uh, and again, carbohydrates, poor things, they've had such bad press and you know, fingers being pointed at carbohydrates. They're not, they're your friend, but anyway, you know, so someone is reduced, not avoiding carbohydrates, or eating very little, or skipping meals, skipping breakfast in particular. That's disordered eating, okay? It's just like a not quite, you know, good for the body. And then an eating disorder is a clinically diagnosed thing, you know, uh, a medical condition. Um, uh, and that's, you know, that again, it's sort of, uh, when I say clear cut, uh, I mean, you know, the strict uh, criteria of being a certain, you know, being underweight and, and not having periods and everything. Because the thing about disordered eating is that your weight might not necessarily plummet. And the reason for that is going back to the cortisol, Dial down uh, because if you don't rate, eat yeah. enough, yeah, 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 you're, you're downing the metabolic rate, exactly. But also you're putting the body under big stress, metabolic stress. And the body, you know, the body is in a really emergency situation. It will down-regulate the metabolic rate, as you quite rightly said, yep, to save energy. But also, it's like the body doesn't like it. It's like, oh my God, this is like help. And so it will put up the cortisol. And the cortisol is true. Through no, it's doing its physiological function. The body's doing what it's being told, you know, this is the response. So don't blame the cortisol, blame it's what you're doing. And so the cortisol tends to uh, favor the deposition of fat. Why is that? Because fat, from an evolution point of view, when we were hunter-gatherers and you didn't know where you were going to get your next saber-toothed tiger from, uh, what you did is that in, in the lean times, you would store fat. And it was seen as a good thing, by the way, because that's very energy-dense. So this is it's one of these vicious circle things that dancers get into. Uh, they think that, oh, well, I'll be a better dancer or I'll get selected for the role or whatever it is if I eat less. But by eating less they won't necessarily lose weight because as you quite rightly said, the metabolic rate will be downloaded and uh, downregulated, but also actually they might, it might sort of backfire on them. And now actually they, uh, you know, might think, well, actually my waist isn't any slimmer. And it's true, it's not, because fat takes up more volume than muscle. You see what I mean? So that's really my key message to dancers listening to this. Um, you know, just, uh, if you look at the physiology, uh, there isn't a shortcut. I'm afraid there isn't a shortcut in life, full stop, right? <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, you know, the body uh, will respond to what you give it. You know, if you give it the, these unbalanced behaviors, disordered eating and stuff like this, then it's going to do what it's programmed to do. Um, so, you know, you can't sort of blame your body. It's just doing what it's evolution it's adapted to do but but listen so the thing is to be aware of that um, and if you're if you're concerned and you think this is sounding familiar um, and it's like oh I wonder if that's what's going on here then um, please have a look at the study it's, it's published it's open access you can see the study we did and there's a questionnaire we have there 
uh, and you know you can do it yourself or you can you know whatever and there's a scoring system so you can get an idea of maybe there if there is something untoward going on um, and also I wrote a uh, a website for Bayesian, British Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine called Health for Performance, number four.co.uk. And again, I wrote that, I have to be honest, I wrote it very much with dancers in mind. Um, and it's got more information about this uh, situation for dancers. So you become familiar with the warning signs, what to look out for in yourself and in a friend or, or whatever. And, you know, some, some advice about uh you know getting getting some blood tests done and see, and seeing what's going on we'll put all those links on our webpage. um cool thanks you mentioned the injury component and i just before we wrap up i just want to uh, um, hover on that for a moment because i i see that a lot that dancers um with disordered eating habits or eating disorders or um relative energy deficiency red um don't always, you know, see that link. And of course, that's part of the disorder, right? The just denial or, or um, things like that. But um, could you just talk a little bit about, yeah, bone injuries, of course, because of the relationship between amenorrhea, amenorrhea and um, calcium. But, but like you said, even other tissue injuries can linger longer or um, not heal, heal fully. Uh, when we're under fueling do you want to mention anything about that mm, absolutely yeah that's a very good point so you know uh you know if you're listening to this as a dance and you're still not convinced that this is actually a thing or a concern um it is because it will affect your performance because you know you won't be so sharp picking up the steps because of the hormones that are important for your cognition but also the injuries Yes, if a bone stress, I think, I mean, to be honest, that's quite serious, right? If you're presenting with a bone stress injury, then actually quite a long way, you know, that, that's obviously, you know, a, a clear red light. Um, but, you know, and listen, as a dancer, I know, um, you know, yeah, you get some niggles and things, you know, something feels a little bit not great from time to time, that's fine. But if it's a constant niggle or something that won't go away, like you said, this recurrent injury, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, you know, a hip flexor issue that just won't go away, keeps coming back and it just won't, you know, you just can't get rid of the, the darn thing. It doesn't respond to treatment and or, yeah. It doesn't respond to treatment. And even if you're, you know, you've done your, your you know, so for example, hip flexor, you know, even if so you're strengthening, strengthening your glutes and you're using the right muscles to lift the leg, <laughs> Yeah, you don't know all that and it's just like well listen it's still not great and uh, you know that is a that's also a warning sign well it could be a warning sign you know first things first have are you taking your vitamin d right so uh you know are you uh, but then always consider that your fueling is maybe insufficient so uh i think that's really you know as i say you know people get a, some niggles from time to time that's understandable but Certainly a bone stress injury is a big red flag, uh, but also don't underestimate the significance of a, a niggly or recurrent or just won't go away soft tissue, something or other. Okay. Um, uh, if you're vitamin, and of course, vitamin D, yes, but then is there something else going on? Is it this low energy availability? The reason why is because, you know, your hormones are all downregulated. And as we've discussed how important hormones are for 
helping your body adapt through training to dancing. If they're not around, they're not, you know, doing their business, uh, then of course, that's why you get injured uh, uh, more frequently. And, you know, and that ultimately, of course, is going to limit your potential as a dancer. You know, if you keep getting injured, you're never going to really have the opportunity to get up to your full potential or, you know, get the role you want or whatever it is. It's just not going to happen. So um, that's what I'm talking about, the potential impact on injury. But also, I think don't underestimate it also that cognitive function. Because the dancers I've worked with, where they have been in low energy availability, and I've managed to discuss with them all of this, and actually they have, to their credit, really, you know, taken on board, made the changes, uh, increased their fueling, in the case of female dancers, periods coming back, everything like this. But the first thing that they say to me, well, the first thing I know that they are, you know, better is because they're smiling. Literally, the first thing I see a smile on their face. And I, I like, listen, I don't even have to do a blood test. I don't have to do anything because I know that your hormones are better because they're smiling, they're happy. And also the other key thing is they say what they noticed is apart from, you know, the injury is much you know, gone away. The niggly injury is not there anymore, but also they say that now they're much sharper in class. They can pick up the steps, they can pick up the corrections much more quickly. So, uh, you know, and that is what you need as a dancer. Listen, dancing isn't just a series of physical jerks, right? It's picking up things quickly, interpretation of the music. You need your brain on full, (laughs) uh, full volume, right? You know, it needs to be coping with all these things and you just, and the brain is very uh, energy uh, hungry organ you know, using a big percentage of your energy intake. So, um, you know, and dancing, you definitely need to be on the ball, right? Uh, and so that's another important factor. And if you're not on the ball, then actually, and your muscles are a bit weaker, that in itself can lend itself to accidents, uh, you know, injury risk, yeah, can't it? Totally. Yeah, exactly. Um, Nikki, this has been so illuminating. I'm so appreciative of your time and all your information. Um, do you want to leave listeners with some closing thoughts, either, you know, the biggest takeaway for you or something we haven't covered? Um, what would you like to say? Well, just to say that dancing is amazing. <laughs> and uh, so, that, of course, we all agree, I think, on that. But in order to dance to your full potential, whatever that potential is, whether you're an oldie like me and doing it because you enjoy it, or whether you are a young dancer in training wanting to, you know, get into a company, or whether you are already a professional dancer, whatever your level of dancing is, um, hormones are going to help you on that journey to achieve what you want to achieve. Uh, And so please be kind to them. Work with them, not against them. So there you are. That's all I've got to say. Otherwise, I could go on for another hour. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much. Um, It's been a pleasure having you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dance Wall Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dance Well, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation to DanceWell, please follow the link 
in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search DanceWell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.